Welcome back to Your 1230, the only podcast where our guests tell their story with the help of 12 questions in 30 minutes. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Federica Brisson. Federica is normally based in Italy, but currently finds herself in Buenos Aires. She's a digital nomad who used to travel all over the place prior to COVID, but now uh, finds herself in Argentina. Uh, she just published her first novel in three languages, including English, in the heart of Tusha. She earns her bacon with science, communication, and podcasting. She loves talking about science, technology, society, and culture. She's a former journalist, ex-musician, and since COVID, she's chosen to live isolated in the middle of the woods, an experiment which she has loved. She's even befriended a badger named Grapefruit. Federica, welcome. We're really excited to have you here. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we'll start with the combination of science, communication, and podcasting. Where? What is the intersection of those three things for you? Oh, well, uh, podcasting is a recent form of communication. Now we're all used to it. Um, but it boomed a couple of years ago. It, even podcasting has existed for about... Uh, way more than 10 years but it became way more popular in recent years i was an avid podcast listener while i was being a researcher at the university traveling very much meeting people from uh, every walk of life not just people working in my niche scientific niche and talking to these people, I was learning so much, you know, both about the science and technology, but also about their take on those things, which showed their view on the world, if you want, you know, something very broad that borders into philosophy, even if you talk about technology. And, and I just put those two things together. And I thought, what a shame that all of these conversations are being lost not so much for my side, asking questions or speaking back, but their story, their stories were so precious. And I was listening to interesting material on podcasts back then. And I just thought, you know, I should give voice to these stories. So everything started as me being a channel, giving a platform to these stories. And then currently I'm not a researcher meaning I don't have an affiliation at the moment. I'm not doing research, but I still love science and research. All my colleagues and friends in the field, I'm involved in the discourse on mental health in academia, for example, gender balance. And since I keep doing podcasting, um, this is what I do. I talk about science or let other people talk about science on my platform. Very nice. And what, what areas of science uh, do you find most interesting or do you often find yourself talking about? Mostly it's technology, which is super broad. Nowadays, what part of our lives is not touched by technology, but that would be the key. Actually, it's the looking glass through which to observe society. So how technology impacts society, how it changes the way we live, the way we think. And so I touched on many different topics from cybersecurity to digital sex work to art, for example. I realized recently that there is an area that I have neglected pretty much, and that is medicine. I should probably cover that. I want to cover that, but it's so far away from my 
research work, my own research work, which touched art, archiving, digital culture. And I guess, yeah, maybe my personal interests, I don't know, but precisely the episode I would like to have on medicine and technology is that um, we underestimate medicine as a modern science and technology, meaning we get all excited about new stuff that comes out for gaming, for example, or communicating, like uh, adding smells, good odors to communication, like we are doing now versus virtual reality. And we and we get all excited and we forget that medicine in the background, quietly, is basically keeping us alive. There's lots of science and technology in medicine, but it's not so spectacular. It's not in the media all the time, whereas technology for gaming, virtual environments is. So I would like to cover that too. Pretty much there's nothing I leave out to answer your question. Everything that is touched by technology. Okay, that's a great answer. But with such a broad topic, how do you stay on top of all those areas where you're able to hold a high-level conversation with your guests? I guess the key, fair, very fair question. Um, the answer to that is that my podcast is a labor of love uh, for the most part. And I have the privilege of choosing my guests. So uh, I, I, mean, I have personal interests, something attracts my attention. I let that instinct, you know, that drives your attention, pull me there. And either I know the person first, or I know the subject I want to talk about first and look for a person, but it's always serendipitous. And therefore, when I first get in touch with the guest, if they're experts in an area that I'm not an expert of, most of the times I will have pretty clear in my mind what I want to know, what I want to ask, you know. So since I ask the question, I mean, it's also fair to say that, of course, even if I just ask questions, the more I know about that field, better question I will ask, of course. And yet I manage to always keep it interesting, I guess, either being an expert because I can dig deeper or not being an expert, but still asking, if you let me say this, uh, intelligent questions, which doesn't mean I'm so smart. That's why it's awkward to say I ask intelligent questions. I think that they are kind of spot on or useful. So for someone else like me, not being an expert of that topic, those would be reasonable questions you would ask the first time you encounter that topic. I absolutely love, love that answer because like you, I think it's important to have intelligent guests. And actually, all of my guests are much, much smarter than I am and experts in their fields. And my job is just to ask them good questions. So I get it. And I think it's a great approach. So very well done there. Uh, and you're on to my secret that I just have to find people that are smarter than me <laughs> yeah, and have yeah. them on the show. Um, but you mentioned the term labor of love. And I thought you know, you've just published your first novel. Uh, tell us oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> That's labor of love that talks about love, impregnated with love, uh, the soaking with love. So I didn't plan on writing a novel, but I've always loved writing. And it is the case that after COVID, my life has changed drastically, just like that of many other people. 
although thankfully not because I was impacted on my health. I just changed country, changed job, changed much of my whereabouts, actually, in my life. And I happened to have some spare time, something so many of us crave to dedicate yourself to your passions. One of my passions is reading, is literature, is writing. Uh, Another passion is living. I love life. And so I let myself live. I took the time to put myself out there and just see what the world had to offer to me in this completely new place where I moved in Italy. And um, out of the fact that I could experience those things deeply, because I had, you know, the space to take all of that new information in, it changed me. I grew, I matured. Then one day, without having a plan, I sat down and started pouring out my thoughts about the things that I have lived. And it automatically became a sort of personal account. It's not my journal. It's not, you know, it doesn't need to be accurate because it doesn't want to be accurate. It's a story. It's how I have lived or imagined part of the things that I have experienced and Here came a a story, therefore, it's fiction, um, that I shared with friends because I didn't intend to publish it at first. I shared it with um, several friends in Italy and abroad. Whatever I do first thing is I translate it to English if it's not in English already. And many friends were like, publish it, publish it. Why don't you publish it? And so after, I guess, two months, I gave in. I sent the work to about 10 publishers and to my surprise, Within the first week, four of them responded positively. And I picked one and the rest is history. And now the, the book is out in Dutch too. And I'm busy with promotion, which is a whole different adventure. It's all labor of love. Uh, it's, I, But uh, when people say labor of love, yeah, what do they mean exactly? I am so rich with meeting new people and having experiences no later than tonight, you know, (laughs) or here in Buenos Aires, this door, this door, excuse me, this book is opening new doors and you never plan it ahead of time. So, I mean, this is an apology of labors of love. Follow your passions, let them pull you to places. Don't expect to know everything in advance. And this is what's been happening with the with the book. I mean, the book is on sale. You know, it's not given uh, out for free. It's on Amazon and other places. It's an ebook format, also uh, under three dollars, very affordable. But it's not for free. You know, everybody who ever wrote a book will know that by labor of love, I mean that nobody pays you to write a book or that you don't make much money with the book. But it's definitely on sales. And it has a publisher. Excellent. Thank you for the backstory. We'll certainly post links to all the places our listeners can find the book. Um, So many things I want to follow up there. First, we talked about off-air when we first connected about seven. Is that the number of languages you speak? Uh, Yeah, not counting German because it's awful. 
Okay. <laughs> well, as a solo language speaker, your ex your English is excellent. And just as you said that you translate everything to English to get it out there um, and then have and friends and audience around the globe to uh, get feedback from and test. Uh, how did it feel getting that positive response from them telling to go ahead and publish it and then getting four out of 10 come back so quickly? What was that like? I'm still adjusting to this. It's a new identity because once you've published something, then people start calling you author. And it's awkward just because I published a book. Does that make me an author? I mean, what is Dostoevsky then, you know? Um, and the fact, I know that my writing must be some good, but that other people will take the time to go through an entire thing that you wrote. It's not a thick book, but still, it's not that someone appreciates only the very bright moments in your, oh man, this passage is genius, but that they sort of appreciate the whole thing, the whole story. And they, they tell you, you touched me, you know, it's very different from singing, making music or something it's, as an art form, people will still maybe tell you, oh, you're so good, but it's easier that they will say that to a singer, because everybody thinks it's easier to know when a singer is good, but not everybody is a literary critic. And therefore, more often than not, the feedback will be about emotions. They will just say, you know, you touched me or it was, I couldn't stop. Actually, someone wrote to me that she was late for an, she said, I started reading your book last night and I couldn't stop. I was late for an appointment and I was telling myself just one more paragraph, one more paragraph. That tells me that there must be something in my writing that makes it, you know, compelling or riveting. Now I'm picking adjectives in English, bit random. And, uh, and I'm still adjusting because everything that happens to me feels such an honor. And for the love of literature, for the love of touching people through life itself, uh, embedded into words, which may seem a dead thing to some people just sits there people who don't like to read oftentimes this it's boring you know blah, I prefer to watch a movie you know but there is true life there's the flow of life in those words sitting on the page and for the love of that I want to pursue this and and therefore I need to learn to try to understand what it means to be an author and to take the compliments if they come and I'm I wonder why I haven't received enough negative critics so far. Easy answer, because people tend to tell you I liked it. If they didn't, they won't come and tell you. Um, but I'm expecting those two to learn. Well, that's admirable that you are looking for negative feedback to to learn from. But take the positive, because I, I, as you said, having a a reader tell you that they had things to do the next day or later on and they couldn't put it down and just kept turning the pages. That is one of the best compliments you can get. And generally uh, I found with books that, you know, good is sometimes difficult to tell bad. Sometimes you can tell right away, but that, that it's kind of international sign of, I can't put this down. I need to know what happens or how we get out of this, where we're going next. Uh, that's, that's truly special that you don't have all the time. So uh, well done. That's excellent. Excellent to hear. Um, 
choosing a, a novel, you know, that's a, that's a specific art form. It's sometimes even more difficult than a, a biography or something that's based in in nonfiction. So, how did you decide that that was the medium that you wanted to take? Ah, uh, look, I don't know if the answer is disappointing, but it's very simple. Life is already a story. I actually sat down to pour out much of what was a real story, but it came out as a story. I just love the word more than novel, because I think that Madame Bovary is a novel, Woodering Heights is a novel, and that this is just a story. It's a story. And um, this is the way I put it. It's as if you asked your grandfather how he met your grandmother and he started telling you something that happened it's a true story but he started by saying it was uh, a rather cold spring that year and the cherry trees were blooming late you know that is a story already but it's true so this is exactly how i think i um dressed reality to sound like it's a fairy tale. See, another word, more than story, a fairy tale. There's much poetry. I was discussing with someone tonight the fact that if you're at the bar and there was a glass of water on the table, most people will see a glass of water. But the poet sees a metaphor of the human condition in that glass. It will spur thoughts, you know, trigger associations. And that happens to me as I go through life. And so the things that I had experienced triggered a lot of thoughts, afterthoughts, fantasies, back thoughts. And by laying them down, they give substance to just the mere facts. Otherwise, the story is we went there, we had a drink, then we drove home, then we he came out, then we kissed, you know, for example. Fact, 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 fact. The juice of the story is precisely your emotion which is the lens through you live those facts. That's why even just going out with someone to the lake one evening or one afternoon can fill a couple of pages of a story because there's so much that's happening inside of you, not just going to the lake. So this is what happened. This is the answer to your question. I didn't make an effort to create a story. I think that life is a story already and that I wish more people told. I I, I don't want to say I wish more people wrote because maybe we're already publishing too many books and that, believe me, was one of my concerns before moving on with publishing this. Well, does the world need another book? Um, but I wish that more people wrote or recorded or told one way or the other their life story and how they go through life and what they have learned from life. That would be a very interesting story. Well, <clears throat> that is not a disappointing answer by any means. The passion that you talk about storytelling is just incredible and how you relate it to uh, everyday stories as well as what's in your book, as, as well as you know, the, the grandfather analogy that's excellent. And that is sort of the genesis behind this podcast. I've met a lot of amazing people who had incredible things happen in their everyday life. And these are stories that people need to hear. So that's why I like talking to people with all different backgrounds, experiences, professional and personal, and then giving the opportunity to kind of talk about it here. Cause we, as corny as it is, we all have a story to tell. Um, 
Last question on the book. We've mentioned love. We've mentioned that is based somewhat of things that have happened in real life. Um, but high high level, what what goes on in this book and why should people pick it up? Yeah. Uh, so the story is that of a woman that is also the main character because she writes in first person. It's her voice that we hear. It's a woman that moves to a new territory, a new region that is called Tusha. You pronounced it perfectly in the introduction. Tusha is the name of a territory roughly between Rome and Florence. Rome is always a good reference. People tend to know where Rome is. So one hour and a half drive from Rome north uh, is Tusha. Tusha is this territory where this woman, uh, she moves there, starts living there. And she meets someone, a man that is from there, and that starts taking her out. But she's very resistant at the beginning. She's all, you know, um, regimented and a bit blocked in her world. And this man starts taking her out. And they go to this place, this other place. And each chapter is called like a different place in Tusha. Tusha doesn't have big cities. There's lots of nature in small towns. So every time they visit a different town and village. And by doing this, you know, the man takes her out of her shell. And also she learns to love and to know the territory, which is just beautiful, beautiful nature, beautiful history, beautiful culture. So it's like a travel book, um, a double travel book, because there's the inner journey and the outer journey in Tusha. It is definitely about love, but it's the kind of love that awakens your soul, touches you very deeply and makes you grow, really. So it's, I like to think, I like, this is how I like to say it. It's a sacred meeting with the other, you know, and then this other, we don't really know how the story ends. I'm not giving it away by not saying it's really we it's kind of an open ending. But my point by saying this is that the enrichment that some people that cross your life give you is independent of whether they stay in your life or not. Or if if it was about love, you marry them. If they stay with you for the rest of your life, you have a family with them. So it's a celebration also of how you always must be open. To, you don't know what will come in your path in terms of meeting people and what they can bring to your life. This uh, meeting between the man and the woman in the book is very casual and almost unlikely, you would say, but there is much to be gained there. So it's this double journey about love, but more than love, the sacred love. The passion and enthusiasm that you speak with, as well as the inner and outer journey. And everybody pick this up. I think you will not regret it because uh, just just the uh, just just the love you have in talking about it. And I'm sure that there'll be a story that many, many enjoy reading. Uh, changing gears a moment as we somehow are almost at time. Um, you know, you've made a couple moves over the last couple of years. You've moved to the woods in Italy and you've changed continents now to South America for a short amount of time. Um, how has that gone? How has that met your expectations? And what's something that you did not expect that you've really enjoyed? Moving around or moving to Argentina? You pick. 
Moving around. Uh, well, um, I like, so f f before COVID, I was officially employed as a researcher. So most of my travels were in part, you know, uh, subsidized by my research funds to go to conferences. Mostly I wasn't just traveling. I was visiting research labs, for example, colleagues or going to conferences. And it was more of a touch and go. You know, I could, the longest stays were three weeks or I guess very exceptionally a month once because I worked in a lab in Lisbon once. Uh, otherwise, it's just a few days. It was cool. It was lovely. People were making, my friends were making fun of me like, where are you today? Because that would be Monday, Tuesday in Washington, D.C. and then Wednesday, Thursday, Paris and then Amsterdam. And it was awesome. It, it's been an awesome moment in my life. After COVID, well, during COVID, I mostly, uh, you know, stayed in one place for now about two years. November is two years. If I hadn't left, I just left a month ago and I decided to come to Buenos Aires in Argentina. I had never been in Latin America before. And I like this way of traveling, which is to just stay for a month, for example, a month, two months, up to three months, let's say. Um since the work I do right now is either podcasting or writing, or I'm still taking the time to live, to take the world in, to see new things, hoping, of course, that this will be fertile and become a book or become a story or become just a better version of myself to share with the world or do something good under the sun. And what I like about it is that... Um, um, you get it's it's not a long time a month, but you get to know a place a little bit. You pick up the vibes. It's not a vacation. It's not a weekend. It's not a week, which is most what most people can afford in terms of taking time off from work, etc. So I'm still privileged in this sense. And you don't, it's also a time short enough so that you're not forced to register at the town hall or do some sort of paperwork that comes with staying in a place for six months or more. And I decided maybe as a traveling style that I will repeat it. Maybe some place where I've never been before because I traveled to many places, but maybe that I could stay. Um, um, I will do it again. So to answer your question, it's just the traveling style that is something that I'm thinking about and considering and maybe you know consciously choosing how to travel now more than going into what I found in every different place and what liked me what not how much I missed the United States for example the friends I have there that thanks to technology you can be in touch with people all over the world all the time it's fantastic you know besides that what has mostly changed before and after COVID, including then the during of staying in one place is probably the traveling style. And I don't mind. I look forward to this new chapter. Haha, <laughs> chapter like in a book. <laughs> See, life is a story and life is a book. I'm not going to argue with you there. My last question on that, uh, for anybody who, you know, as, as a seasoned and experienced traveler like yourself, for anybody who's looking to kind of upgrade or change from being a vacation traveler to somebody to update their travel style to spend a month in a place. Because we, as more of us are becoming digital nomads and doing what we do uh, from anywhere, uh, what's a good first step or what's a, what's a good place to pick a location or a good thing to know before they do that? 
it's so much second nature to me that I would really have to think hard because I see no problem there. What's hard about it? I have no clue. And I'm not that mistaken, I believe, because if you did this before the internet, now we would be talking. But with the internet, you know, you just go online, pick one of the platform where you can find accommodation and then see if the dates are available. It's so easy through the Facebook. It's still something that I do with moderation because I do want to discover things while I'm there. Um, but for some things, you know, why not be equipped with knowledge? And therefore, I will reach out to some groups on Facebook and ask to the people who actually live there some practical tips that may include how worried I should be about finding uh, a chip for my phone immediately when I'm there so that I'm independent, actually, and I can communicate and do all the rest, how it works for a currency exchange for places. Europe, no problem. But here, Argentina, not the easiest. I learned a couple of things about changing pesos. And so it's it's just that. I would. I, the, I don't think that I need to say don't pick a dangerous place. That's a no, no brainer. Um, I was uh, mildly worried about Buenos Aires because I had heard they had told me that in recent years or more and more or certain areas, you really have to be cautious and pr probably to prefer an Uber over a cab because at least Uber drivers are registered. You know, there are other apps, Cabify, other things here. Uh, but where the driver is registered over a cab where a girl traveling by herself could magically disappear. And I was worried. I said, really? Is that easy? But now after a month, I can tell you that uh, I never felt threatened anywhere I've been. Maybe I avoided the dark alleys in the night. So both are true. But walking on the main avenues in every other street, I've been out and about without too much caution. Let's put it this way. I never felt unsafe. So, you know, this is my take. So don't pick a dangerous place. But otherwise, you know what? I just don't see a problem. One problem is that you carry too much of yourself with you with WhatsApp and all of your friends. So if you if this is your first experience and you are looking for an experience where you break with your uh, not past, not that existential, but you just with your environment and daily routine, uh, then my worry would be how to not be online too much, how to fence off too many friends that will start asking you. So how is it? Have you landed send me pictures you uh, I, we love our friends um but if you're looking for that you need to find a way to truly get into the traveling spirit um which will probably g get the best of you in any way after a while because in the first few days it may be even comforting to have your friends in the chat and sharing the difficulties, not knowing where the grocery store is or something weird you've seen. But after a few days, you start meeting people here. Or I hope you do, you know, don't be too much into your phone. You start meeting people and then you go out for a coffee or they invite you to an event, to an opening of an art gallery, something like that. And, and then it's not a problem anymore to have your head in your phone too much. Yeah, if you want to do it, just do it.
That's awesome. And no hardships there. But if you have questions, do reach out. I'm quite the expert. That is an absolute perfect answer. And I can't think of a better way to wrap up. Um, so somehow, like I said, we're already at time. But my last question, is there anything tonight that I should have asked you that I didn't? Oh, boy, there's much more than I could tell you by myself, but that you should have asked. No, you've been great. And my answers were, I don't know, great or not, but probably too long because I didn't give you the time to ask 12. They were they were excellent answers. I could talk to you for hours, but like I said, we're, we're at time. So we're going to we'll wrap our first conversation here and I look forward to the next one. Federica, safe travels. Uh, keep up uh, the the amazing lifestyle that you lead and best of luck with the book. Thank you so very much and uh, greetings to your audience. Thank you very much.